you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. We've got to get past week-to-week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure. That is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. Before we go any further in this service, just speak the words of that song that we were just singing. Lord, my battle belongs to you. It's in your hands. Come on, take your hands off of it right now and put it in the hands of the Lord. God, the battle's not mine but belongs to you. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, let's thank the Lord for his presence in the room this morning. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here this morning to our guests. Thank you for being in the house of the Lord. Busy, busy times through the summer and so much going on. And uh, Youth Congress this next week. So there's a lot happening. Thank you for being faithful to the house of the Lord on this Sunday morning. Amen. If you have your Bibles, I'll take your attention to the book of Numbers, chapter 32, and I'll also take you to James, chapter 4. Beginning with Numbers chapter 32, I'm going to read several verses into your hearing there and only one verse from James chapter 4. Amen. Thank you for your prayer over the last couple of weeks. Difficult season, but the Lord knows and things are better. And uh, uh, Sister Chelsea reached out last night to check on me and uh, I said, well, it looks like you guys are stuck with me for a while longer. Numbers chapter 32, and begin with verse number 6. Say amen when you're there. And Moses said unto the children of Gad and to the children of Reuben, Shall your brethren go to war, and shall ye sit here? Verse number 8. Thus did your fathers when I sent them to to Kadesh Barnea to see the land. For when they went up unto the valley of Eshcol and saw the land, they discouraged the heart of the children of Israel that they should not go into the land which the Lord hath given them. Verse 10, and the Lord's anger was kindled at the same time, and he swears, saying, Surely none of the men that came up out of Egypt from 
20 years old and upward shall see the land which I swear unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob, because they have not wholly followed me. Save Caleb and Joshua, for they have wholly followed the Lord. Verse 13, and the Lord's anger was kindled against Israel. And he made them wander in the wilderness 40 years until all the generation that had done evil in the sight of the Lord was consumed. James chapter 4, one verse, verse number 17 from James chapter 4. I want to take you from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. I've had this stirring in my spirit for several days, and I I just want to talk to you for a little while. You can title this whatever you want to title it. I didn't come up with a good title. I I put all kind of titles on it this morning, and Brother Mike reached out to me, and I I finally had to arrive at something. So I'm just going to, for sake of a better title, I'm just going to call it The Sin of Not Doing Good. Or if you'd like to use this word, The Sin of Omission. Lord, help us this morning to speak what you've put in our heart and our spirit. I pray, Lord, that every heart in this house that hears the word of the Lord today would receive it and would allow it to find its lodging place, that it may change, Lord, who we are and, Lord, who we should be, may grow in us, Lord, that we may walk in perfect peace and walk in your will and your way, that we may do what we know to do. I pray this in Jesus' said amen. Speak to your neighbor and tell them, do good. You can be seated. Perhaps I've heard this story in these verses from childhood, specifically James chapter 4, to him that knoweth to do good. And doeth it not to him, it is sin. My dad would remind me of that often when he was had asked me to do something that maybe didn't get done or didn't get done in his time frame. He would remind me, did you forget? No, you knew you should do that, yes. Why didn't you do it? Well, he'd say, son, excuses are only good for the people that use them. He that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it's sin. I'd say, yes, sir. I would get up and do whatever he would ask me to do. Perhaps this verse was taught by every godly parent, every Sunday school teacher, every preacher, pastor, Bible study teacher. The principle here is that one must not only know the right thing to do, Because the sin is not 
not knowing, but the sin is not doing what we know. And if to him that doesn't do what he knows to do, to him it is sin. Strong language the writer puts in John chapter 4. My parents taught things like, be not deceived, God is not mocked, whatever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Again, the principle here is that one can only run ahead of sin's snowball so long before it catches up on you and comes reeling in over your head to its ultimate destruction, you can't escape sin's consequences. Many messages have been constructed from this biblical principle within the scripture as the foundation of its delivery. Be sure your sin will find you out. Common scriptures that I heard as a child growing up in a Christian home My dad would remind me, son, always tell the truth because if you don't, your your sin will find you out. A lot of sin is connected into that context, lying and stealing and cheating and murder. And the list could go on and on. And I don't disagree with the principles behind many of these varied messages. But I have found that we most often take some of this a little out of context because we equate sin with what we do, but fail to recognize that willful omission is also sin. I remember my mother, she bought a new deep fryer, electric deep fryer. It was big stuff in the 1970s. It sat on the counter. It was an electric deep fryer, and she would put, plug it in, and I'm not sure what real benefit it would be. I don't see them anymore, so it must not have been that big of a benefit. But I remember that big deep fryer. My mother was very proud of it, and I learned how to use it as a kid, and I could fry French fries or whatever in that electric fryer, and I remember it sitting there, and it had the little fancy basket you could put your things in, drop it down into the to the cooking oil, or in my mom's uh, in my mom's way of cooking, it was it was hard. And so you could drop the fries down in the grease and cook them, and set it up, hang it on the edge, and I felt like I was an employee at McDonald's. My parents were gone, and I used that fryer, and I fried something, probably, probably fries, and I took those, and I dumped them out, and I was cleaning up and putting everything back, and for whatever reason, the engineer and designer of this incredible new toy that my mom had, tool, I'm sorry, tool, that my mom had, it had a plastic top. It was a Tupperware-like top that snapped on. Well, being only a 
probably a preteen or maybe just a teen. That's right, I even picked that out. I remember taking that plastic top and snapping it on the top and walking away. A day later, maybe, my mom was in the kitchen and I heard my mom begin to grumble. And she asked, who burned and melted the top to my new fryer? I had four siblings in the house. Nobody responded. I remember my dad coming home and dad saying, Now kids, your mom's fryer has the lid melted and we need to know who melted the lid. When in reality it wasn't me, I didn't melt the lid. As a matter of fact, I put it back in its proper place just at the wrong time. And I could have gone with that, and I did. It lasted about three hours until it was time for me to go to bed that night, and conviction set into my heart because I could not lie to my parents. And I remember laying in bed and feeling conviction in my heart and I went and knocked on my parents' door, and my dad tells me to come in, and I come in crying. He brings me over to the bedside, and he said, what's the matter, son? And I said, Dad, Dad, I think I'm the one that burned Mom's lid. And, and he said, well, why, why did you? I said, Dad, this is what happened. And he said, thank you for telling me the truth, son. You're a good father. And then he gave me a lesson. And I said, well, Dad, really, I, I didn't really burn the lid. I just put the lid on and the fryer burned the lid. And Dad taught me a little lesson about the sin of omission. It's how that you can take words and construe, misconstrue, leave out a portion or a part of the story so that you technically are telling the truth, but it is really not Scripture deals with it here. I think I'm, it's pretty clear, not only dealing with lying, but it's dealing with so many different areas that we could generalize into this more specifically. And while we have allowed the weight and responsibility of this text to be dulled, the razor-sharp blade of true intent in this verse comes through so clearly and speaks into our heart. Moses isn't speaking in general terms and conditions, but he's very specific about his position. As a matter of a fact, Moses wasn't even talking about the things that you do, but he's talking about the things that we do not do. The things that we intentionally look over, skip over, and leave out. Moses was addressing the sin of omission. He was addressing the sin of what we do not do, of what we do not say, of what we intentionally leave out. 
in the 32nd chapter of Numbers in verse number 23, but if ye will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and be sure your sin will find you out. He didn't say if you do it. He said if you if you do not do it, your sin will find you out. Yes, there is a sin that is rampant in the world, and it is the sin of omission, of omission. Therefore, he, he that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him, it is sin. Perhaps the most underrated sin in the Bible is the sin of omission. We like to categorize sin according to our social acceptance. Sins committed against children at the top. Those labeled in murder, adultery, fornication, stealing, eventually we get to lying. But the sin of omission is almost smirked at and looked over, even in the church. It's not that big of a deal, right? It's only big enough to make the pages as sin. Most of us fail to include it on our list. The sin of omission is the sin of knowing but not doing. Sadly, this is the sin that many of us in this room this morning may be guilty of. I feel the tension so strong in the room right now. If it was a rubber band, it would be high tenor. I can remember my parents calling me by full name and I knew what it meant. Something was badly wrong. If, if I had had an argument, I would respond by, I didn't do anything and sometimes it was that very thing. It's not what we do, it's what we fail to do. And at times my mother would say, son, that's the problem. You didn't clean your room, but you knew you were supposed to. And my parents, my mom was something alarm clock was my mother knocking on the door. One call. She didn't beg. She didn't say anything. One call. If we didn't make it to school, oh well, it was our problem. She would turn on the light and say, son, it's 7.30, time to get up. If we didn't get up and overslept, oh well, it was our problem. Before we left to go to school, our bed had to be made. If we were running late, we were late to school because our bed got made before she would let us get in the car to go to school. She was a little tough. If I decided that I was going to skip one morning and pull the bedspread over and, you know, kind of get the door almost closed before I left to go to school and the bed wasn't totally made and she said, did you make your bed? And I say, uh-huh. And she get, went in and found that the bed wasn't completely made when I got home from school. Oh, my word. Because you didn't omit things in our home. You cleaned your room. You took out the trash. You fed the dog. And my dad would often say, let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. If it is true, say yes. If it is false, say no. Don't slant your words to make something look like it's not what it is. Was it something that I've done? Am I in trouble because of something I've done? Often it was something that I had not done, something that I had left out. Some of us are wondering why God keeps convicting us and why we keep feeling condemnation and we look over our life and feel like, well, it's all good. Listen, listen, 
Lying will send us to hell just as fast as murder. And the sin of omission is, is mentioned in Scripture, and it is just as clearly a sin as any other sin listed in Scripture. Therefore, him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him, it is sin. Be who you say you are. Do what you say you will do. Oh, this is not going to make you shout this morning, but I came to tell you there is a sin of doing nothing. The setting is during the time when Israel was preparing to invade Canaan and they served their sentence for unbelief. They've just finished their 40-year walk-a-thon in the wilderness. The old unbelievers have now died off. The next generation is gearing up to cross over Jordan, perhaps the tribes of Reuben and Gad had gotten together and started talking among themselves. Some of their conversations or questions may have sounded like this. Why? Why do we even cross over Jordan when we've got it so good here? we got quail and we've got manna and, and our clothes don't wear out. Things are good here. We've already cleared this land. We've already driven, driven out the inhabitants. Let's just live here. All the Amorites and uh, towns are vacant. Let's just move on and let's enjoy, uh, let's enjoy uh, our life rather than moving toward a fight. Isn't there an easier way? Do we really need this? The other tribes can cross over if they want, but our group could just stay right here where we are. And it sounded like a good idea to a lot of people. They may have, have even put it to a vote. And the motion probably passed by flying colors. The polls showed that everybody in the tribes of Reuben and Gad were for the plan. So the leaders of Reuben and Gad came before Moses and the princes of the other tribes of Israel to present their petition. Remember that they would have been very proud of their plan for it was bipartisan. Two different tribes coming together for this wonderful purpose. They figured out a way to avoid bloodshed. They think they have bypassed the risks by doing nothing. In essence, they were saying, God, go with you all. I'm sure he'll fight for you, but we've decided just to stay on this side of Jordan. I can hear them now. This is going to cost more than we're willing to play, pay. God bless you all. Godspeed. I wish you well. We're not against you, but we're not going to help you. I have too many personal things involved to, to go with you. I can't involve myself in your battle. Go get them, boys. I hope you have success and victory. We'll follow the events on social media. And Moses said unto the children of Gad and to the children of Reuben, Shall your brethren go to war and you sit here? that sink in for a moment. The Lord became angry. The man of God, Moses, was angry. What a scolding from the man of God. You mean you're going to just stay out here and do nothing while your brethren are fighting for their future? You selfish people. You think because you've got your piece of the pie that you're just going to sit here and enjoy while your brethren are fighting for their lives and the lives of their families? Do you know what, what uh, all the other...
ten tribes are going to be doing, your lack of involvement will discourage them and may cause them to lose heart. Ultimately, your lack of participation can influence them to not even bother to cross over. Are you with me? Thus we pick up in our text in Numbers chapter 32 and verse number 8, Thus did your fathers when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to see land. For when they went up to the valley of Eshcol, they saw the land and they discouraged the heart of the children of Israel that they should not go up to the land which the Lord should give them. And the Lord's anger was kindled at the same time and he sware unto them. Let me apply this just for a little while. There is some places that God is calling us to. There's some places God wants to take this church to. There are some places that God is speaking and putting in our spirit and there are some that are saying, y'all go ahead. I'm going to be here. I got your back. Y'all go ahead. We'll take care of this. Y'all go ahead. You go ahead and show up to prayer meeting. You go ahead and be faithful. You go ahead and give and sacrifice. You go ahead and we're just going to stay right here, but I hear the voice of the Lord saying, come on everybody, this is a church, this is a body, this is many members all assembled together, don't let your brother fight by himself, don't let your sister fight alone, don't let them go through their trial by them, come on somebody, it takes everybody, don't let the Lord's anger be kindled against us when he says, I've got a mountain, give me this mountain and I know that my brothers and my sisters are going to go with me to take the mountain. The Lord's anger was kindled against them and he said because of what you were doing none of the men that came up out of Egypt that are 20 years old and upwards going to even see the land which I swear to Abraham, Isaac and That's right. That's how serious this was with God. You know it wasn't what Israel did that kept them from entering the promised land. It was what they didn't do. The Lord promised them the land and he gave them the land. There have been prophecies over this church for for, for generations. Can I tell you that every prophecy that has ever been spoken over this church from God is true and is going to come to pass. But it doesn't mean that every person that was there when the prophecy was given is going to see it fulfilled. Because if you hinder somebody else and don't say, come on brother, I'm not just saying you go after it, but I'm saying come on gird up your loins. I'm with you. I'm for you. I'll fight next to you. I'll pray with you till your family's saved. I'll worship with you until you get the victory. Come on somebody. We can't just say it's going to come to the next generation. We need to fight with them now. The sin of doing The sin of worshiping the golden calf didn't keep them from entering the promised land. The murmuring and complaining didn't keep them out of the promised land. But the sin of doing nothing and hindering those who were had the potential of preventing them from entering the promised land. I want
the sin of doing nothing and the sin of hindering your brother or sister who are has the potential to preventing you from living in Christ. The sin of doing nothing made God so incredibly angry that he refused to allow any of that generation who made such a terrible choice to enter into the promised land. Back to Numbers 32, Moses looks into the eyes of the princes of Reuben and Gad and says, you're acting just like your fathers. You didn't learn anything from your past. Verses 14 and 15 of Numbers chapter 32, and behold, ye are risen up in your father's stead an increase of sinful men to augment yet the fierce anger of the Lord toward Israel. For if ye turn away from after him, he will yet again lead them in the wilderness and ye shall destroy all this people. Did you catch that? It's not the Lord destroying them. It is you will destroy them because of your unbelief and unwillingness to participate in God. Did you get that? There are things, listen, the blessings of your children may be predicated on your cooperation with the body. That's why when I see people that are faithful, I go ahead and look to the generation ahead of them and the generation ahead of that one and say, you know what? I watch that faithfulness. I pull in here and see Sister Nancy cleaning and working in here, and I look ahead to the next generation. I look beyond just Jason and Eric, but I start looking to the next generation. And whether you know it or not, that generation's being blessed because mm -hmm, the next generation, come on, Grandma and Grandpa, I'm talking to you. Your faithfulness, your, come on, don't discourage that generation, but that generation is blessed because you say, I'll fight with them. I'll, I don't have anything to lose. I'll fight with them. I'm not going to choose comfort. I'm not going to choose relaxation. I'm going to fight because their generation is going to witness what my generation has worked for and fought for and prayed for, but I'm not going to be left to die in the wilderness without seeing the promise, but my faithfulness is going to be visible so I too can see the promise. Oh, put your hands together and give God a shout of praise in this house. Moses, listen, just because you're comfortable and you've staked your claim does not excuse you from battle. Just because you're comfortable doesn't give you a reason to be uncomfortable. Moses doesn't pull any punches. He's just about to die anyway. He's an old man and He's at the point of death, and so he gives it to them with both barrels pretty much. He just kind of, I love it how, you know, you can, I, 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 like, I like to talk to, to people that's got some age, you know, their 40s and 50s, you know, they're careful about what they say. They get on up in age, and they just kind of tell you what they think. <laughs> no, I don't have anything to lose. And they just kind of give it to you. Moses kind of gave it to him with both barrels. He doesn't pull any punches. He said, it would be sin for you to stay behind. He said, it would be sin for you to not be involved. It would be sin for you to stand idle and not participate. It would be sin for you to not help your brethren that are going into battle. 
What do you mean you're going to discourage them? One thing for you to not fight with them. Another for you to discourage them when they are fighting. It will be sin for you to not help the rest of Israel uh, go in and and capture their God-given promise. But there's more than that. See, Moses knew that these two tribes were not only bypassing, bypassing the risk and inconvenience of war, but he knew they were also bypassing the experience of being involved in the fight and winning. Are you with me? Would you give me just a few more minutes to make this clear? Would you give me just a few more minutes this morning? I got about eight of you with me right now. Would you give me just a few more minutes to make this clear? Because bypassing the experience of the fight and the victory changes everything. This church used to have ball teams. We used to travel. We, then we all got old and lazy. And, and the next generation, we go to camp. I heard some of, the, some of my generation getting frustrated. The ball fields have never looked as nice as they look today. They are absolutely amazing. The junior high students came out and beat the youth committee, adults, in, in softball. Beat them. Because there's a generation that has forgotten all about how to get out and actually play ball. Now, they'll beat you in videos. They sit at home. But they've lost what it's really about. Listen, listen. It is different when your blood, sweat, and tears are involved in it. When we fight together, the victory feels better at the end. Mm -hmm. When you link up with your brother or sister and God answers that prayer, it makes you want to praise and worship God with them when the answer comes. Come on, somebody. When, when, when we link up and say, come on, I'm going to pray with you. When we work together, when we labor together, when there's an event and you're here in the kitchen working or you're out with a, with a nail apron on, and you, it changes your attitude toward whatever is going on. You want to love the church? Get involved and everything. Everything will change. Moses, his words were so persuasive and anointed that he, that men, that the men immediately had a change of heart because they understood that what was happening is, is not just sin, but a threefold sin. Because here's the, here is the thing about the sin of omission, the sin of doing nothing, the sin of not being involved. This is the thing. First of all, it is a sin against God. The second thing, it is a sin against your brother or your sister. Mm. And thirdly, it is a sin against the next generation. Because they don't want to just hear your story. They want to see you in the fight. You know what I'd like to see? I'd like to see some adults join the young people up here in the front when it's time to worship. 
Oh, that's what we used to do when we were kids. Y'all go up there. Hey, how about some adults come up? Don't complain because they don't do it the way your generation did it. If your generation is not showing them how you did it. commanded all of Israel drive out the inhabitants and secure the promises of God. To refuse to do so would be disobedience to God, betrayal of your brethren, and they would be guilty of the sin of doing nothing. Can I say that the biggest obstacle that some members face in their race to heaven and in fulfilling their God-called mission will not be leaving the doctrine or failing in creativity but it will be getting over the hurdle of sitting on the sideline and discouraging those that are in the fight. Because here's the thing. In a worship service, you are either helping or hindering. There's no neutral ground. Either you are helping the service or you're hindering. You're either weighing it one way or the other. Come on, CLC. I'm calling on us. We've got to get engaged in what God is doing. When it's time to worship, everybody ought to worship. Don't just say, let them go ahead. I don't really need anything today. Let them go. No, we all must work together, worship together, pray together. It may not be your child in the altar, but come pray with them like it's your child. Are you as involved in the work of God as what you should be? Do you witness like you should? Do you encourage your brother like you should? I catch it next time. Don't wait for a better opportunity. Do you minister to the needs of those around you like you should? Are you giving? Sometimes my wife and I find ourselves getting ourselves in in messes because we we give and work and reach and try to help to the point that it, it hurts, it's painful. Come on, CLC, that's the kind of church we are. We never stop loving. We never stop giving. Well, you know what they did? It doesn't matter. Show the love of Christ. Uh, give until it hurts. Uh, work, labor, encourage. Are you as involved as you should be? Do you pray like you should? Do you fast like you ought to? Are you available in the work of the Lord? Are you actively involved in a ministry? Are you giving back the way God has blessed you? Are you giving financially, sacrificially like you should? The sin of omission is a grave sin. By the help of the Lord, this church is pursuing the next level of growth and ministry. Over the next few weeks and months, as we are planning and preparing for 2024, that's right, it's already upon us. We're already charting the course and moving toward what God would have us to do next year. It would be easy to fall into the sin of relaxation and doing nothing and saying, let's just be comfortable for a year and let things ride. It sounds too good to be true. But in the next few months, going to be launching a vision initiative for our future over the next 18 months. And my question is, are you ready? Be 
the next 12 months, by the help of the Lord, we're going to knock every door in our city again. Every door. We're going to engage in another citywide initiative that will be greater than anything that we've ever done before. Those of you that have been part of this church and were here when we did Impact about 13 years ago, you know the impact that it made in our city, community, and park and the scores of souls that were baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost. 24, we're going to... Katie, bar the door in 24. We're going to go after it with everything that we have. We're going to reach our city. Come on, somebody has got to stop saying, well, let them go do it. It takes everybody. It will take everybody. But we can do it, and we can reach this city. And the next wave of revival that God has for this church will be greater, will be bigger, will be more powerful than anything we have ever done before. Our lack of involvement and our lack of effort is sin against God, sin against our brothers and sisters, sin against the lost, and sin against the next generation. My wife pulled pictures a few weeks ago of that event that I just mentioned to you. And I thought it had just been a few years ago until she pulled the pictures and I saw my boys in their discard. And I thought, my Lord, that's been a while. It's been that long and we talk about, oh yeah, we've knocked every door. How long has it been? 13 years? 15 years? How long has it been? Our lack of involvement and our lack of effort is a sin. And we have got to engage our lack of involvement is a, is a negative influence to the next generation because we're telling them, hey, here's what happens when you grow up. You don't have to do this. Let's leave it to the youth. Oh, come on, church. We've got to be going forward. The Lord said, you're either for me or you're against me. There's no middle ground. We can't avoid the struggle. We're not, we're not getting out of it that easy. The battle is coming whether we want to or not. We have been divinely appointed for this generation. Come on, take up your swords and be ready to fight. The stories of past victories are enjoyable to talk about, but there are some new victories today. Come on, some of you have said, well, I've been there, done that, and got the T-shirt. Get another T-shirt because the one you had's worn out. Get a new one. Before Gentry left to Thailand, he arrived home in Houston last night. I talked to him on the phone and I said, Gentry, what, what takeaway do you want to have from Thailand? He said, it's been six years since I've been on a missions trip and I've seen scores and hundreds and even a thousand people receive the Holy Ghost in one service. He said, I'm praying that God will perform some new miracles. He said, my ministry needs some stories that didn't happen six years ago, but some things that happened last week. He called me and he said, Dad, I'm on my way home. 300 and something people received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. 80 something notable miracles that happened. He's coming home saying it wasn't last year. It was last week. I got off a flight on Saturday night and he's in a pulpit this morning to say it happened last week. Hey, CLC, we don't have to look back at the revival from 13 years ago, but it's the revival that God is sending now. Oh, would somebody put your hands together, get up on your feet and give God praise in this house right now.
Come on, lift up your voice and give God a shout of praise. Oh, let's give him praise right now. What are we doing? What are we doing with the opportunities that God has put upon us? What are you doing about the unsaved person on your job? What are you doing about your family that don't know the Lord? What are you doing about this community that hasn't heard the gospel truth of Jesus Christ? What are you doing to secure a bright, a brighter future for the next generation? What are you doing about engaging in the work of the Lord in the house of the Lord? Let me ask you a serious question. Not your neighbor, not your pastor, but you. What are you doing to ensure that CLC will continue its ministry of reaching the lost, making disciples, developing ministries long after you and I are gone? What am I doing? I know this kind of preaching doesn't make us comfortable and doesn't make us want to shout. It's not intended to. Church was never intended to be entertainment. This is called conviction preaching. It's preaching a word that pricks our heart. That's what happened in the New Testament church. It pricked our heart. It didn't just tell us everything we're doing right. It told us some things that we needed to do more. I'm not preaching against what you're doing. I'm not even preaching against the sin that you may be involved in. But I'm preaching against the sin of what you're not doing. We're in a wrestling arena grappling for the souls of men. This is a hospital where we fight to save the wounded. We can't sit idly by and say, let somebody else save them. This is a barracks where we encourage fellow soldiers, you're not fighting alone. Come on, I'll fight with you. When I see my brother down, I want to walk to him and put my arm around him and say, come on, be encouraged. We're going to do this together. This is a sanctuary where we find shelter in the midst of the storm. We don't pull back the curtains for the thunder clouds to roll in and flood our homes and our families. But if we have to, we'll do everything we can to, to be that protection. This is the temple of God where we call on the presence of the Lord and where his presence flows freely among the people. What are we doing? to ensure the glorious future. I ask you the question, are you in? Are you on board? Are you committed? What are you doing when the prayer request mentioned is nobody that's related to you or nobody that you know? Do we avoid them? Or do we screenshot them and take them home and say, God, I, I don't know who this person is, but I'm praying for them. I don't know what their need is, but I saw the name serious enough for their name to be on that prayer request list, God. I'm praying for them. I saw my brother discouraged this morning because his lost son, wayward child. God, let me be my brother's keeper. Can I send an encouraging text today? Can I, I want to pray for that child, that wayward son. Lord, I want to be an encouragement. I want to lift them up. What are we doing? we encouraging or are we discouraging? Ah, don't go in that fight. Don't go to that 
fight, the Lord said, there's so many things that you're not going to enjoy if you discourage those that are willing to take up the fight. I want to speak to every senior, every elder. I respectfully say to you this morning, I know you don't run as fast as you used to and jump as high as you used to. But listen, it may be your prayer. It may be you showing up on Monday night prayer. It may be on a day. It may be on a day that you see it's an evangelism day and you show up and say, I can't walk the street, but I'm going to stay right here at the church on my face before the Lord while you kids are out knocking those doors and I'm going to pray right here. I'm going to be here when you get back, but I'm going to still be praying when you get back because I'm going to build a hedge of protection about you in prayer because I'm in with you. I'm encouraging you to go do what you can and I'm going to do what I can. are lifted high all over the room. Nobody's moving. Nobody's looking around. I feel God speaking to hearts in the room right now. What are we doing to see God move on that life? What are we doing about the kids in our neighborhood that aren't here this morning, but they're out playing in the yards? And maybe an invitation would get them here. What about that family member that's not going to church anywhere? How long has it been since you've asked them again? Could I pick up your children for church? Could I bring them to the house of the Lord? Would you come with me? I would buy lunch. I would buy dinner. What are you doing? Are you involved? Are you involved? Are you doing everything you can? These altars are open all across this room. This is a reach for every person. This is not just sinners this morning. This is saint and sinner alike. If you don't know the Lord in the power of the Holy Ghost, His presence is here for you this morning. If you're not on the team, come get on the team this morning. This The church doors are open. We're inviting you. Come and be part to every member that's in this house today that maybe feels like I have been a little disengaged. Why don't you come recommit to the Lord and commit to a brand new engagement this morning. God, I'm going to be part. I'm going to do more than I've ever done. I don't want to miss another opportunity to make a difference. I want to be committed. Come on, tell him everything that you plan to do. Come on, pour it out to him this morning. There's still room. I invite everybody to come, guests alike, with members, everybody's, everybody's invited to come. There's plenty of room here in the front together. Take that step this morning. Make that commitment. Make that commitment. Oh, yes, yes, yes. church seek the Lord this morning don't just go through the motions right now make that commitment to the Lord
what we're going to do. We're going to put this to practice just for a moment. I want every man to find another man, every woman to find a woman in this room right now. I want you to get together with somebody you don't know what they're facing. All of us have something, some prayer point, something that we need. I want you to connect with somebody, and I want you to pray for your brother or your sister, and I want you to let them know you're not in this alone. I'll be my brother and sister's keeper. I'll be strength to you. I will strengthen you in prayer. I will hold you up in prayer. You're not alone. God is for you and I'm beside you. Come on, we'll fight this together. We'll experience this victory together. That's it. Come on, pray for your brother or sister like it's your own need. Yes. Everybody sing it together with them now. 